turn with me to the very end of Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. Then we're going to get into Acts chapter 6 this morning. But before we get into our study, I wanted to answer a question. Last week, uh, someone texted in a great question that I felt like would be good to answer as a a whole body. And it was this. um, When we were going through Acts chapter 5 last week, we looked at taking off masks. You know, there are times when uh, the thing that the enemy uses to kind of break down unity and the ministry uh, within a church, um, any church, it's really when there's hypocrisy. When someone deliberately uh, looks one way, but then they really are another way. And so uh, we looked at how we break down those masks, how we take them off. We, got, we have to get rid of that idolatry of, of uh, really uh, our reputation and what others think about us. Uh, we also talked about jealousy, how that kind of breaks things down. And, and then there's that satanic influence. We, we're dishonest with others at times. And if that goes on long enough, we could be dishonest with ourselves. And then what happens is we could be dishonest with God. And then we, we looked at value, a person's value being intrinsic. And um, if there's a lack of grace within a, a church, then people will be really afraid of being transparent and being themselves. But where you have a place of grace, where people are coded in grace, you have people that realize we're all on a, a level ground. And so one of the things that helps us in that is to have uh, accountability with others and really to desire uh, to do what's right in God's eyes. We have to want to do that. Um, accountability is something that we have to desire. So the question was this, how do you go about starting an accountability group? Which is a great question because I think that there are a lot of people within the church, within the body of Christ, they, they want to get together with other people to kind of be accountable and to share their burdens and to help each other grow. But how do you do that? So uh, I want to answer this question. The first thing is it begins with friendship. Like any friendship, friendships take, number one, they take time. And number two, uh, for lack of a better word, chemistry. And what do I mean by that? Um, You could be friendly with people, a lot of different people, but why is it that you are drawn to your best friend? There's a, a connection. You guys, you click, right? So when it comes to an accountability group, begin, first of all, with friends. And, and it means that it's going to take time and, and it's going to be chemistry. I can't just be in an accountability group with anybody. I don't feel comfortable just sharing with anyone, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what I'm facing. If I haven't known that person over an amount of time, and also if I don't feel safe sharing those things with that person. So first of all, it's going to take some time. Secondly, in that friendship, we have to know what the goal is. Like, why are we getting together? Why are we even meeting? And when it comes to being uh, to having a goal, I think a great place to start with is uh, think about it like this, responsibility groups versus accountability groups. Um, I look at sometimes account- accountability groups. Those times uh, sometimes are like sin management groups, okay? We're going to get together for sin management. How are you doing with your sin? How are you doing with your sin? And accountability is much more than that. It's, it's our responsibility. So Paul pointed it out this way in 2 Timothy 2.22. We're to flee youthful lusts, okay? That's what we're to run from. We're to run from things that hinder us. We're to run from sin, okay? So this is part of this accountability group. This is the goal. What do we run from? What are we trying to avoid? The second thing is what are we to run toward? Okay, run from. The next thing is to run to. It says that we're to flee youthful lust, but we're to pursue 
uh, righteousness, faith, love, and peace. So accountability isn't just what I'm trying to stop doing. It's what I'm trying to start doing. In other words, these brothers in Christ are going to help me to become a better husband, a better father. They're going to help me to, to pursue righteousness. They're going to help me to have more faith, to love others, and to have peace. Okay, And then the last part of that uh, responsibility in that group is run with. It says, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So that's what an accountability group does. So how do you start? You start with two to three other people. You don't have to start big. And I encourage you, sometimes we do things as a church, like on Wednesday nights, we have groups that meet, uh, you know, after the study, uh, our men's ministry might meet together. But for a, a really tight accountability group, you're probably going to have to pick them yourself. Because if I just throw you into a group, it's kind of likely that it, it may work or it may not work. It's going to work a lot better with friends that you choose. So when I was uh, in college, that was kind of the first accountability group that I had. Uh, the, the four guys that I met with were Eric Kiampor, Javier Jimenez, Sergio Montenegro, and Dion Mattis. Um, Eric and I met in junior high. We both became Christians in high school, um, and we were really close friends. He knew me before I was saved, and I knew him before he was saved. Uh, my friend Javier, we knew each other since we were three and four years old. And we're still really good friends today. My friend Sergio, we met on a missions trip in China. Uh, that's when we started to build our missions team together. That's where we met. And my friend Dion, we met in college. So I had four friends, you know, one from uh, childhood, one from high school, junior high, one from uh, a missions trip, and one from college. And they started to get to know each other, and we got together. And then once we met, this is what we did. And And again, these aren't... This is not like the Bible, like this is how you have to do it, but I'm just giving a suggestion that worked for us. Uh, we came up with uh, these five rules of our accountability group. Number one, you can ask anything. There is no off-limit topics or questions. Uh, you could just start off right off the bat, you know, as we pray, one of us would go through a, a teaching, you know, we'd look at a Bible, uh, a passage, and then we could ask anything. Number two, if you answer, be honest. Be absolutely honest with your answer. Number three, if you choose not to answer, tell us why you won't answer it. You could say, you don't have to answer everything, but, but you could say why. I'm not going to answer because I blew it and I don't want to talk about it. At least, you know, be honest. Uh, I, I don't want to answer that one because it would incriminate someone else. I, I don't know what those things all are, but, but if you don't want to answer, say why. Number four, you have to have a safe container for sharing. And safe container means that what happens in that group usually, I say usually, 99% of the time stays in that group. But let me tell you that if you're one of my best friends and, and you have a, a venereal disease and you're saying you, you were with a prostitute, you better tell your wife. And if you don't tell your wife, I'm going to give you the chance to do that. But if you don't do it, I'm going to tell her. And that's why we can't say everything stays in the group. If you're doing something that's illegal, then, then I may have to get involved in that. I may have to, to, to do something about that. And so number five goes along with number uh, four. Don't judge, but be helpful. Even though um, I see something or you see something in my life, it's not judging the other person. It's trying to be a help. How do we help mostly? By listening and by praying. 
And then sometimes by giving some word of encouragement, sometimes it means that you got to intervene. And I'll tell you that one of the greatest things is having a friend that will intervene, having a friend that will be willing to risk the friendship in order to, to like slap you into sense, in a sense. You know what I mean? Because if you can't risk that, then how strong really is that friendship? If, if you can't risk that, then is that friendship really helping you to grow? So that's just uh, one of the ways to start an accountability group. And, and I, I just start small. Just pray, God, show me who those people are. For, for guys, have a, an account, accountability group with guys. For, for ladies, have an accountability group uh, with ladies. And so that kind of leads into what we are going to be um, looking at this morning. So turn with me to Acts chapter 5, and uh, let's pray again. Father, this morning we want to thank you because you've given us the body of Christ. Um, And Lord, as a body of Christ, we pray that you would show us, Lord, what our role is, not just to be consumers that come and receive, but Lord, missionaries that come and give and serve. And I pray, God, that you would break down barriers, Lord, that there would be uh, friendships that uh, happen within the body of Christ that go beyond a Sunday morning. Lord, friendships that go beyond just uh, small talk, that really, at times, Lord, get down to uh, the nitty-gritty of stuff and, and, Lord, are willing to hold each other accountable. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to serve one another because you've given us that example. So this morning, we thank you for your word. And uh, we, we never want to take for granted that, Lord, when your word is taught, there is something supernatural that is happening. So, Lord, may you speak to us through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. In Acts chapter 5, verses 40 through 42, it says, They agreed with him, and when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. So what did they do? They departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily, in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. You really can't stop a group of people when you beat them and they praise God for it. Okay, you, you, can't, you can't hold those kind of people down. And what was happening in the background is that these, these men that God was using, uh, they healed people, they preached the gospel. And what happened was uh, they were forbidden to do this. And these guys just went back to doing that again. And I want you to see something in verse 42. It says daily in the temple. This is where we left off last week. Uh, This is where um, the the temple was the the gathering place of God's people. The ecclesia, which is uh, the called out ones. This is what we are today. We're a called out people. So we come from different walks of life, different backgrounds, but God has called us here and we're here together to learn and to grow together. But then it says that they met in every house. We want our fellowship to go beyond a Sunday morning acquaintance. Um, Interestingly enough, for me as a pastor, I have this incredible point of view. It's the same point of view that I had as a teacher. Uh, When I was teaching in the public school, instead of making a seating chart, I would just wait till day three. And in day three, I would hand the seating chart around because I knew they would sit there for the rest of the year. Do you realize that? As a teacher, by day three this is where they're going to sit. And I, okay, that's where you're going to sit. And I let them kind of have a chance to see how that worked. 
And if it wasn't working and they weren't getting work done, then I would move them. Sometimes I want to do that as a pastor. Hey, this is not working out right here. I got to move you over here. You're talking too much or you're not engaged with people. You're not reaching out. So, so I look at Sunday mornings, you know, it's kind of an acquaintance. But I, I, I hope and pray that we go beyond that. And that's why I wanted to give the background for uh, Wednesday nights. We do this thing called Life Church. Um, but we're going to go into the summer and we're going to do these life groups. Uh, we'll probably have three Bible studies that are just going through a book of the Bible. We'll have a group that is just studying um, biblical parenting. How do we grow as parents together? Another group that is going to look at finances. How do we grow as biblical stewards? And, and we want to do that because it helps us to grow as disciples. And something happens when you see people in a home. You linger. You, you talk. Um, Sitting in a sofa, sitting in circles rather than sitting in rows, it has a way of just kind of breaking down those barriers. So this summer, that's what we're going to be doing. Now, as the disciples did this, they met in the temple and they met in every house. Um, something happened, a problem arose. And, and I wanted to show you this picture, first of all, because um, I think it illustrates kind of the message of Acts 6, 1 through 7, which we're going to look at this morning. How many of you know what this is? Raise your hand. Good. Okay, a couple of you people know what this is. Um, well, you maybe you know what it is, but you don't understand why. Um, this is a picture of a jar, and in the jar is rice. And on top of the rice, there are walnuts. If you notice, the lid cannot fit on the jar. And even if you push really hard, it's going to be very difficult to push the walnuts into the compacted rice to fit them into the jar. But if you take an empty jar and you fill it with the walnuts first, then you take a cup of rice and you pour it over the walnuts, the rice will go in the nooks and crannies around and through and beneath the walnuts and all of it will fit in the jar. If you've ever done this, you know that it works. This experiment works. And the reason why I begin with this is that when it comes to our priorities in life, the walnuts are those things that God has for us to do. Those are the main things. For me, the walnuts would be being a, a Christian, a disciple of Christ. It would be being a husband, being a father, uh, being a son and a friend. And then the rice, those things that are poured around it, th- these are 49er games. Uh, this is, uh, you know, uh, di- different things that are fun, you know, good things, things that I enjoy, but aren't necessarily essential. But if my jar is filled with all of the things that I want to do and the peripherals, and then I try to fit in the main things that God wants me to do, I won't be able to fit it all in. Therefore, my priorities have to be in line so that the things that God wants me to do first are the things that take priority in my life. This is what happens in the church in Acts chapter 6. And this is what they're facing as a a ministry. So we looked at the big gathering and small gathering. And then in Acts chapter 6, there arises a problem. Now, again, the church is an amazing thing in Acts chapter 5 and 6. And all the way through this first uh, first part of Acts, God is healing people. Uh, the, the message of the gospel is being taught. Uh, people are, they're walking through life together. God's doing amazing things. And then hypocrisy creeps in with Ananias and Sapphira. And then you have this religiosity. People start wearing masks. And now we get to this problem in Acts chapter six, where it says, 
Now, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, so that's a good thing, they're multiplying, there arose a complaint. So you hear that? All the way in the first church, there were complaints in church. Now, now sometimes we think, oh man, you know, if we could only live in that first church, it would be perfect. They had complaints in church just as it began. And it says the complaint was against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. So we see two different groups of people. Because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. So let me explain the problem. The disciples were multiplying, and that means that there were multiplied needs, right? The more people, it's just like a family. Have one child, there's needs. Have two childs, you double them. Have three childs, you, you ten times did. You know, but have five children, you know, it's a hundred times. Uh, it, it, it's exponential in the, the needs. And there was a need between the Hebrews and the Hellenists. The Hebrews were the Jewish people, the believers, the followers of Christ that spoke Hebrew. They, they, they came from the Jewish nation. But then you had other Jews that spoke Greek and they didn't speak Hebrew or Aramaic. So you had a division within the church. Now, what was happening is that the widows were to be taken care of. Remember um, when we were reading in Acts chapter two that they all, they all donated you know, fields and money and resources so that those would, that would have needs, would, their needs would be met. And so the widows were people that really had needs, especially because it was a male-dominated society and women weren't really working. So if a a woman's husband died, that was her, her livelihood. So they took care of the widows, but it was the ones that spoke Greek that felt like, hey, look at the Hebrew women. They're the Hebrew widows. They're the ones that are having their needs met and, and our needs are not being met. Now, it very well could be that the problem was linguistic and communication. Maybe, maybe they even said, okay, if you're a widow and they were speaking in Hebrew, then, then sign up on the list and we'll try to get to your needs. And maybe some of the Hellenists couldn't understand that. I, I don't know, but something happened where there was a, a division that was going on. Now, when there's a complaint, the question is, what do you do when you have a complaint? I want to file a complaint, you know, uh, maybe at, at your office, you might have a, a box and that box is for suggestions and really it could be called the complaint box, right? Um, and, and it's for complaints. So what do we do when we have a complaint? Well, one of the things that we could do is we could gossip. I, I don't think anything is as divisive in a church or an organization or a, a group than gossip. And when gossip happens, it means that many people talk about things without talking to the direct source. So people start talking, and maybe, maybe the Hellenists are, are, first of all, they're talking about the Hebrew women. And then they're talking about the apostles. And then they're complaining, and then they start to talk to one another. And if you notice this, when you have those complaints, and you have that kind of feeling that something isn't right... Notice that you'll start to look for other people that gravitate towards your your like opinion. And even if it's a small group. The second thing that can happen is that sometimes bitterness and blame can set in. I could get real bitter. And if I'm bitter, there's, there's a problem because Satan uses bitterness as a way to get to my heart. If you have bitterness, um, I just want to let you know your walk with God 
and your relationships with other people are hindered. Bitterness is a poison that we drink hoping that someone else dies. <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're drinking the poison and, so, and the other person isn't, you know, suffering. So we need to ha- have the Lord deal with that bitterness. And then we could also begin to blame people. It could lead to assumptions and presumptions. What's the difference between the two? I, I looked up the difference between assumptions and presumptions. An assumption is just thinking, I know what they're thinking. And you don't even have evidence. I know what she's thinking. I know what he's thinking. I know why he didn't talk to me. I know why she didn't ask me. A presumption means that there are reasons why you think what you think, but you still don't know for sure. And let me give you the healthy way to deal with a complaint of a real problem that might exist. Number one, pray. Number one, pray. Sometimes when I'm praying for the situation, it's not that God changes the other person. Sometimes he changes me. Sometimes I realize I'm being a baby. I just need to get over it. You know what? Or it really is an issue, but you know what? I could let it go and I could just, I could just let it go. The second thing is if it's something that I can't let go, I need to talk about it. And whom should I talk about it with? The person that I need to talk about it with. After, after the Lord and after praying, I need to talk to that person and it doesn't really do any good if you talk about it with other people um, and not that person because the other people can't really do anything about it. And finally, the last thing is to try to resolve it. Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 18 talk about it, that if you have something against someone or someone has something against you, you go to the person first. And if you can't resolve it, then bring in someone else, not someone to be on your team but someone else that is spiritually minded that will say, okay, I'll listen and, and I'll, I'll try to, to see. And then if they still won't listen, then it says, bring it to the church. Now, what if the problem is the church? What if I don't want to bring it to that pastor because my problem is with that pastor? Then you know what you do? You bring it to another pastor and not to gossip, but say, would you come with me to approach this other pastor to deal with this? to see if, if maybe there's something wrong in my thinking. All the time with humility. So this problem arose, and it was a real problem. And what ended up happening is that there was the multiplying of needs, and, and then there was this biblical mandate. I, I want you to notice this. Um, in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 4, it says, Where there are no oxen, the trough is clean but much increase comes by the strength of an ox. Do you, do you understand that? It's kind of like the stalls and the trough is gonna be dirty where there's a bunch of ox. I hate, I hate cleaning up after these ox. They, you know, they make poop all the time and they slobber everywhere. And, and so I just want no oxen in my barn. And what happens? Nothing happens. There's no production, there's no plowing, there's no meat, there's, there's nothing. But where you have a lot of oxen, you have more mess. The same thing is true with people. And in this case, there was a biblical mandate to take care of the widows and the orphans. Now, later on, it became more structured or organized. In fact, in James, it says that religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Later on, when Paul wrote to Timothy, he wrote, honor widows who are truly widows. In other words, verify, make sure that they're really widows. 
Another thing, if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. Look to the family to take care of them. The next thing was godliness, for this is pleasing in the sight of the Lord. So there was a, it wasn't just everybody, but they wanted to verify that these things were, were real. There was a real need. We get calls all the time at the church. Hey, I was wondering, and, and, and many times, and, and I, I hesitate to say that none of these are real, but, but many of these are not real. Because, and the reason why I know they're not real is that I used to be a pastor in Gilroy, and I get the, we get the same calls here. And it's usually someone that needs bus money to get to another city because of, and then X, Y, Z, some tragic thing. Now, again, once in a while, those things could be true. And they have been true, maybe one in a, one in, you know, a large number. But, but you got to verify those things. We want to be wise stewards. You know, when, when people give their tithes and offerings, that's a person's worship unto the Lord. And we don't want to give that frivolously um, just to anyone that says, hey, I have a, a need. But when there really is a need, we want to look to the body of Christ and say, is this person really a part of the body? Is this person really in need? And, and is it because of negligence? We, we don't want to just you know, give money to negligence. We want to help them to grow through that. So let me tell you what the solution was. The solution was that in verse 2, the 12, that's the apostles, they summoned the multitude of the disciples and they said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. In other words, there was a diversity of gifts and there's a diversity of roles. And within the body of Christ, if you are a follower of Christ and the Holy Spirit has come into your life, regenerated you, he has given you spiritual gifts. And those spiritual gifts that he has given you are not just for you to enjoy. They're for you to be a blessing to the rest of the church and the body of Christ. So your spiritual gifts are not just for you to say, hey, look what I could do. You know, uh, I, I've shared, shared the story before about Gil Irwin. You know, he approached this bodybuilder and this bodybuilder, you know, I, this comp, competitive guy. And he went up to him and goes, what do you do with all of that power? The guy goes, watch, you know, and he flexes. He says, yeah, but what do you do with it? He's like, well, look, you know, and just like flexes again. He's like, yeah, you have all this power, but what do you do with it? I, I think that sometimes people can take spiritual gifts and, and think of it in that way. I, I could speak in tongues. I could, I have the gift of prophecy. I have the gift of helps. I have the gift of administration. But how are we using those gifts to benefit the rest of the body of Christ? For the apostles, they understood what their role was. Now, even though the two words are not used in Acts chapter 6, what you kind of see later on defined more in the pastoral epistles is elders and deacons. An elder is a spiritual leader that makes decisions, that knows the word of God, that is able to teach. Um, a, a deacon is someone that still has those same characteristics, uh, the same character, but a different gifting. And they're not apt to teach. The teaching being the main difference between the two of them. But both of them, elders and deacons, are called to have character. The main qualifications is not talent. The main qualifications is how is that household life going? How is that marriage going? How are they raising their kids? How, how, are their, their rep, how is their reputation outside of the church? Are they people of integrity? So there was kind of a division of, of roles. 
And it doesn't mean that one is better than the other. The apostles here are not passing the buck. They're not saying, hey, you know, um, we're kind of above that. You know, we, we're not uh, table servants. We're not busboys. You know, find some busboys to do that. We will give ourselves to prayer and to the word. No, what they knew was their role. The word minister really is a word that, that comes from, its original meaning just means servant. And sometimes people serve in studying and teaching and discipleship, and that may not be other people's role as much. Discipleship, that's all of our role. We're to make disciples. But those that would teach the word of God to others in a, a, a formal setting in that capacity, that's a special gifting and a calling from God. But it does not mean that a pastor or an elder is not also, in a sense, to be a deacon. But not every deacon is an elder or pastor. Let me explain this. Dave Rolfe uh, was the principal at Maranatha Christian Fellowship, which is the school down at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. He's the one that started that school. Um, or he was the first principal that was there. And one day, uh, Pastor Chuck, um, Chuck Smith, who was the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, was walking outside and Dave Rolfe was up on top of one of those outdoor basketball hoops, you know, where the, it's on a pole. And it, it started to slide down because the bolts weren't tight enough. And so he's out there and, and Dave is doing two, he's holding up this thing, which is dangerous because he's on a ladder and he's tightening these bolts and he's trying to measure exactly where it is and lifting up and down and, and kind of doing that. And Dave was the principal of the school at the time. And Pastor Chuck walked by and he said, um, he said, Dave, he goes, that looks like a two man job. And Dave goes, yeah, he goes, I, I just thought, you know, I'd get this done. And he asked him a question. He said, um, is there anyone else that, that might be able to do that? And he goes, yeah, I could have, you know, maybe I could have one of the maintenance guys come out and do that. And he goes, Dave, um, you're the principal of the school, right? And Dave said, yeah. He said, is there anyone else that can do that? And Dave thought about it. And he's like, no, not so much. And he goes, okay, just wanted you to think about that. Now, Pastor Chuck you know, if you if you know if you knew him um, at at Murrieta at the Bible College, he would be up there hammering, you know, nails and hammer, trying to do those things, but not all the time. And the only thing he was trying to tell Dave was this: the administration of the school was such a key thing that was so specialized that he was leaving something that no one else could do in order to do something that someone else could do. Why do I share that here? It's because the apostles at this point in time. The most important thing in building the early church and building really the body of Christ was that people were being discipled and taught the word of God. And even though it was a problem, and one of the ways that Satan tried to disrupt the work of God was by complaints and division, Satan could have further disrupted the work if the word of God would have ceased being taught. Now, these guys could have said, hey, we'll do it and, and put it upon themselves. And you have to know something. For me as a pastor, um, let me give you the behind the scenes part of it, is that that's a daily kind of a struggle as to what roles and what things should I be doing and what things shouldn't I be doing. And sometimes one of the difficult things to do is to say no to some things that are good things that maybe aren't the essential things that would take me away from things that might be higher on that priority. And it doesn't mean that at times we're to do, uh, not to do those things. It just means we, we have to realize what is the capacity that we have 
at that point in time. Now, again, if there's ever a, a pastor or a leader that won't set up tables, and that's their heart because they're above that, then that's sin, and there's something wrong with that. But to see a division of labor within the church, it doesn't mean that one is any better than another. In the same way, when it comes to giftings, there are many giftings in the body of Christ. You can't all be administrators. Like if some of you were administrators, you know, this world, you'd have no stoplights, you know, there'd be no lanes and everyone would drive like the Philippines. And uh, that's, that's how it would be. Um, If others of you are administrators, everything is in lines. Everything's orderly. We have different gifts. We have different abilities. Some of you, your your giftings are one-on-one talking to people and compassion and listening and sharing the word of God and encouraging. There are others of you that, man, whenever you try to do that, it's like you're like a bull in the china shop and people go away from you crying. Now, you need to grow in that, but it may not be your primary gifting. And we need to know what our primary giftings are. So therefore, notice what it says in verse three. Therefore, brethren, this is what he calls them to do. They call them to do. Seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, I want you to hear that, first of all, they said, Seven men from among you. You got to be one of them. In other words, you're not above them. Don't start administrating the tables and say, okay, line up right here. And all of a sudden start acting like a jerk. You know, it doesn't mean that because you get a little bit of power that you all of a sudden have to act like you have all of that power. But choose seven men from among you. So he said, you choose them. What did he do? He empowered the people you guys choose and then bring them to us. And we'll, we'll verify whether or not they're, they're ready. The same thing can happen. Hey, here's someone that I think could lead a, a, a youth group. Here's someone that might be able to lead worship. Okay, we'll bring them and then we'll pray about it and we'll look and we'll see if, if that life meets up with these things biblically. They had to be people of good reputation. That means character above talent. And by the way, when it comes to good reputation, it takes time sometimes to build a good reputation. If you came from a background that was, uh, you know, you were brutal in your background, all of a sudden you get saved, you have to understand that it's going to take some time for people to trust you. Be patient with that. Don't get angry. Just realize it's part of it. And then there will be some people that will never let go of your past. They will never, let, they will never stop reminding you of what you did and how you acted. And those are the people that you have to kind of ignore those things and love them and realize God's called me to something And the greater body of Christ, including the leadership, are the ones that see in my life there has been a change. Usually those people that won't let it go will be friends and family. There'll be people that know you and they've known you for a long time and they can't see how you could ever be used by God because I knew you before and I remember what you were like. But they look for these seven men from among you of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Notice that being full of the Holy Spirit, that's the giftings of God's Spirit. They needed to be born again. They needed to be regenerated. And then there was also wisdom. So they were both spiritual and practical. Spiritual and practical, not spiritual or practical. You could have some very practical people that know nothing about spiritual things. 
And you could have some spiritually minded people that love the Lord and worship, but they're not very practical. (laughs) They needed people that were spiritual and practical. And then the result of them putting those people in place, notice it says, whom we may appoint over this business. So the, the apostles still had that authority as the leaders of the church to say yes or no, and is the Lord really confirming this? They said, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, what is the result of that? The result of that is that there was a blessing. In verse five, and the saying pleased the whole multitude. Now, were the apostles people pleasers? No, no, they weren't. If they confronted sin, did they get in people, like, did they, did they really state things the way that they, do you remember when the, the priests and the religious leaders, when they confronted them, did they, did they all of a sudden cave and buckle and, and just say the, the company line, you know, in order to, to save face? No. You know what they said? They said, this Jesus whom you crucified, he died and he rose again and, and we preach his gospel and you can't shut us up. They weren't people pleasers. But this pleased the whole multitude, I believe, because at this point in time, the whole multitude of disciples was seeking the Lord. And I'll tell you that when there is unity in a church, when there is unity in the body of Christ, when everyone is praying and they're seeking the Lord together and the Holy Spirit makes it clear, this is what we're to do. There is a great blessing that follows that. There is an incredible blessing where God can do unhindered what he wants to do. So the pleasing, it, it pleased the whole multitude because I believe that they were, they were biblical. They weren't just felt needs. They were taking care of widows, which is something that God wanted them to do. And unity, it's not the absence of difference, it's the absence of division. Let me repeat that. Unity is not the absence of difference, it's the absence of division. My wife and I love different kinds of music. Uh, We have division, or not division, (laughs) well, sometimes division when it comes to one radio station. Uh, We have difference, (laughs) Okay, but we are united as a married couple um, because we haven't let that difference divide us. Now, we might divide, be divided if there's only one radio station, but, but there's an absence of, of division there. And so it's okay to have differences. And when difficulties come, which they will, because why? We're human beings. Why? Because we're sinners. Why? Because we sin and we mess up. And when those things happen, the difference between a spiritually mature person and a spiritually immature person is when the problem happens, how do I deal with it? Do I vilify the other person? Do I try to get a group of people that agrees with me so that we can bombard the other person? Do I just soak up the bitterness? Do I just say, I'll never talk to that person again? They could be here and that's fine. There's no division, I'm fine, but there's no love either. No, a spiritual person will seek to be unified. And so what did they do? They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Procurus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. Verse six, whom they set up before the apostles and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. So notice again, the apostles laid hands on them. There was an anointing, there was a... um, an acceptance and a recognition of what God was doing. So they laid hands on them. 
And then it says in verse seven, then, and here's the blessing, then the word of God spread and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. What is the blessing that comes from this? Number one, the word of God spread. When all of us collectively together are saying, God, use us and our gifts and our talents the way that you want to use them. What happens is the word of God spreads. Now, if we keep all of the salt in the salt shaker and we say that the only place that we minister is here on Sundays, then what happens is we are not exercising our spiritual gifts, you know, on the other six days of the week. And even on this day, there are other people that are here that are called to teach. Right now, the Holy Spirit is speaking in an orderly way, hopefully through me as the pastor or as the teacher. So we're all on the same page. But we can't all exercise that gift of teaching simultaneously. Therefore, if you need to exercise that gift of teaching, there have to be other outlets for you to exercise that gift of teaching. There are those of you that are gifted as evangelists. And if you only wait for the church to have an official function to say, okay, now we need an evangelist, you're not exercising your gift on those other days of the week. Some of the greatest giftings of evangelism don't happen in stadiums, but happens in neighborhoods and happens in homes and happens in the workplace and it happens in schools. If you are in school right now, you need to pray, Lord, help me to see my school as a mission field. If you are in the workplace right now, you need to pray, Lord, help me to see my workplace as a mission field. If you're living in a neighborhood, you need to say, Lord, help me to see my neighborhood as a mission field and pray for wisdom and say, God, how can I do, how can I use the gifts and talents that you've given me in order to reach out to these people? See, with life groups, one of the things that we wanna do is this summer, as there are different groups that are meeting, there's two different things that I'm asking every life group to do. One Every life group, one of the meetings is just to have a time of fellowship and to invite people that don't know the Lord, just to hang out and to build relationships. Number two, one of your meetings this summer should be as a community service to other people, your group will get together and to serve the community. And however the Lord leads your group to do that, maybe it's working at a school, maybe it's helping with, you know, Royal Kids, you know, club, maybe it's some other thing, whatever that thing is, pray, Lord, how can you use us? The second thing is that the number of disciples is multiplied. Why are we breaking off into groups this summer when life church is such a blessing? Lord willing, we wanna see multiplication. We wanna see multiple people operate in their gifts. We wanna see multiple people grow and be discipled and make disciples depending upon the situation that they're in. Again, you know, you may be at a different point in life and so you wouldn't be a part of a parenting class, but you will be a part that studies the book of James. The third thing that happened is that many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now, doesn't that seem weird? Shouldn't a priest already be obedient to the faith? Because they're priests, right? The priest should be obedient to the faith. See, the priest was functioning in a religious capacity. When the word of God is spread and we're led by the spirit and we're doing what God's called us to do, religious people become faithful people. You know what my heart for us is not to be religious people. By religious, I mean going through the same thing over and over again. I want us to be faithful people. And faithful means full of faith. That means we're exercising the faith. 
So as we close, a, a big word today is organic. You know, it's used in groceries, it's used in ministries, it's used all organic. And, and let me explain usually what people mean by that. Organic means naturally. It just grows naturally. If you are a farmer, do you just throw out seed and say, we'll see what happens organically and let it go? Just throwing out some seed. Or are there rows? Is there a tilling of the soil? Is there some organization that happens? Is there some fertilization? Is there some watering? Is there a certain time to plant the seed and a certain time to to reap the crop? Absolutely. It's not organic or organized. It's organic and organized. In other words, when it comes to ministry, is it spirit-led or organized? I've heard people say, I just don't like organized religion. Well, let me tell you what the alternative is. Disorganized religion. (laughs) Disorganized religion. Do whatever you want. You know, like run around, paint your face, throw, you know, dust up in the air, you know, make a statue, whatever you want. That's disorganized religion. It doesn't mean that it quelches and quenches the work of the Holy Spirit. It means we're open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. But, but let me tell you the root word of this. It comes from the word organ. Dunk, 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 dunk. You know what that is? That's a heartbeat. That's one of your vital organs. And your heart is very orderly. It does this all day. Dunk, 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 dunk. Or, or they say lub-dub. I never understood that. I was saying, they said, you listen for the lub-dub. I don't, I don't hear lub-dub. I hear dunk, dunk, dunk. But I, I look at that heart and every day it pumps. And all of the cells are just so, so that that thing, that heart works and it functions as a part of the whole body the way it's supposed to function. That's an organ. The Latin turned that into organized, which means when our group starts to function like the brain and the heart and the lungs and the intestines and all of that works together, that means it's organized. It's working like the organs that work together. So it doesn't mean chaos. It doesn't mean doing whatever you want to do. And the bottom line is this. Jesus calls the body of Christ to minister to others biblically. That's his order. Spiritually, we need to seek God's leading. And third, organizationally. Why do we organize organize life groups instead of just saying, do what you guys want to do? Because some of that organization actually helps to facilitate ministry. Now, over-organization and trying to control things, that will quelch it. So we want to, and that's why even in your life and my life, we have to be led by the Holy Spirit. We can't say, this is what we've always done, so we will continue to do it this way. God worked greatly in the 1970s by Friday evening concerts at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. And there were these concerts that drew many people in. You know what, today, it's different. What Christian concerts bring today is Christians for the most part. And so if we want to reach out outside of the walls of the church to go to other people and to reach them, I believe that one of the ways that we do that is to go into some neighborhoods and go into some places and have some fellowships where we invite them in. And that's a possibility. So whether it would be, you know, doing the thing over at Henry Cowell or, or meeting together in homes, or maybe it's you getting a group of friends together, an accountability group to say, Lord, help us not just to be a sin management group, but help us to be like a light infantry group so that we could be mobile and God, we could go where you send us. And maybe as a group, you're not just praying that you guys would stop doing a certain sin, 
But you're saying, Lord, maybe you could send the three of us to the Philippines or to Mexico or to Peru or to this place where we could go as a group and minister to others. Amen? Amen. God wants to work in us and through us. And my prayer for us is this, that as we seek the Lord, we present to him our bodies as spiritual gifts of service, reasonable gifts, as it says in Romans 12, 1 and 2. And that we would be living sacrifices and say, God, organize us. God, lead us, but make sure that you're the center of these things that we do. And Lord, would you give us fruit? Would you make us fruitful so that we can multiply? Amen. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we want to thank you that you have given us um, your word, your examples, Lord, of the early church that went through problems like we go through problems, that went through difficulties and even differences But Lord, it didn't cause division in this case. So Father, I pray that you would take the diversity in the body of Christ and that you would use it. I pray, God, that we wouldn't see ourselves as high schoolers or college students or senior citizens, but really as the body of Christ working together. I pray, Lord, that there wouldn't be a divide between um, male or female or between um, just different factions. But God, as you've gifted us and you've given us some unique experiences. Lord, help us as a body of Christ to function together. And we ask that you would lead us and organize us and show us what to do as we submit to you as the head of the body. And finally, Lord, for anyone here that is not uh, a follower of Christ, maybe there's someone here, Lord, that has never received Christ as their savior. I pray that today would be that day of salvation. And if that's you, if you are religious, maybe you're here this morning And this kind of makes sense, but you've never really committed your life to follow Christ. You've never asked him into your life. Then would you pray with me this prayer? Jesus, come into my life. And I pray that you would fill me with your spirit. I pray that you would forgive me for my sin and that you would help me to follow you. And God, help me to be a follower and to learn what that means. And I know that that what I'm hearing today is true. And I don't understand all of it, but I come to you in faith because I believe that what what you shared with me in my heart today is true. And so, Lord, I thank you. And then, Father, for those of us that are already followers of Christ, Lord, use the gifts of the body of Christ. Lord, anoint, set us free with every spiritual gift that you would give us. And Lord, all of us today want to say, fill us again with your spirit. Fill us afresh. In Jesus' name, amen.